Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. As they're passing those handouts to you, you can turn in your Bibles with me tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 this evening. Second Corinthians chapter 10, and then if you would just raise your hand high, they will make sure you have a sermon handout. There's not a handout for every night of the week, but there are some sermons that we have a handout for you, and we want to make sure you get one of those. Anyone else need a handout this evening? All right, fellas, thank you very much. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tonight, and tonight I want to talk to you about the idea of demolishing strongholds demolishing strongholds. And you say, what in the world is a stronghold? Well, Paul is going to introduce this concept to us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And tonight may be one of the most powerful messages that is shared with you. When you think about what goes on when we sin and when we keep sinning in a certain area, how it can absolutely destroy our lives because sin upon sin is going to make up what we call a stronghold. And the interesting thing is, is that Christians, no matter how long they've been saved, can walk around with strongholds until the day they meet Jesus. But Jesus died and rose again so that we could be set free from strongholds and sin. So sadly, even though many profess faith and are saved, we can stay in defeat in many areas when we're supposed to be more than conquerors through Him who loved us so. Let's pray together, and then we'll look at the passage. Father, we thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your word tonight. We pray, Lord, that your word would go forth in power. Lord, that your spirit would take this word and make us like your son. Lord, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and Lord, help us to see things tonight that only you can show us from your word so that we can walk in the victory that Christ died and rose again to give us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look with me in verse 3 this evening. The Apostle Paul says this, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ." I'm just going to walk through the passage, explain it real quick, and then we'll look at some other truths from this passage in your handout this evening. And then I'm going to close the sermon tonight with a powerful illustration that has changed my life. First of all, Paul says this. He says here in the Bible, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Now you say, what in the world is he talking about? Well, first of all, in simple layman's terms, Paul's saying, I get up every morning, And I put my shoes on, I put my clothes on, I brush my teeth, I get ready like everybody else does. I live in a sin-cursed body, though I'm a new man. So what he's saying is, is the Holy Spirit's come to live inside of me and I'm a new creation, but I'm still trapped in this unredeemed body. And one day, the Bible says, we will be completely like Jesus when we get out of this old body, we get a new resurrected body, and we see him face to face. How many of you are looking forward to that day? Amen. But until then, you and I do not have to fulfill the lust of this old body, the old flesh. If we walk in the Spirit, we will not. 
But anytime we grieve or quench the Spirit and we put back on the flesh instead of put on Christ and follow the impulses of the flesh, we will sin. So what Paul is saying here is, he says, though we live in this old flesh, he said we don't war according to the flesh. Now, first of all, he brings up this concept that you and I must be in a battle. And we are. You and I have three enemies. One is this anti-God world system. When you watch the news, do you get the impression that the world is not going the way of Christ? We live in an anti-Christ system, and one day the Bible says the anti-Christ is going to appear on the scene. But until then, the spirit of the world around us is one of anti-Christ. In fact, most of us did not wake up this morning, go to our employer, and the employer say, before we even start the job today, I would like all the employees to come together, and we're going to pray, give glory to God for everything that goes on in this factory or this company. How many of you had that happen today in your workplace? You want to know why that didn't happen? Because it's an anti-Christ spirit. Now you say, what's going to happen when Christ returns? We're all going to bow the knee and say, yes, Lord, yes. So that's the difference between the new kingdom and this old kingdom that's passing away that we're in. It's an antichrist system. So the, the anti-spirit of the world, the antichrist spirit of the world, is going against the Christian. But we also have a second enemy. It's the devil. The devil, the demons, and the fallen angels. And the devil seeks about roaring, uh, seeking whom he may devour. And so we have an enemy. Now here's the great news about our enemy, and, and it goes like this. He's a defeated foe. He has been defeated in the cross of Christ. Jesus Christ has trampled all over the enemy. And now, if you and I follow the temptations of the enemy, it's not because we have to, it's because we chose to. Because we've been set free in the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection, the gospel changes everything. So the victory that Jesus Christ earned in our behalf has now been given to us in Christ. So when we walk in the power of the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. But we do have an enemy. It is the devil. But then we have a third enemy, and it's this old flesh. This old flesh. And so the Bible says, do not pamper your flesh. Do not make excuses for your flesh. The Bible says, put it to death. Did you know that? Now, the Bible's not saying do self-harm. That's not what it's saying. But the Bible's saying your old flesh that is anti-God, that wants to live according to your own way, that wants to do things your way, the Bible says put that to death. One day someone looked at George Mueller, my spiritual hero, who took care of over 10,000 orphans back in the late 1800s by faith. He was a pastor, a missionary. He had over 50,000 recorded answers to prayer. Someone looked at him one day and said, George Mueller, what is the secret of your spiritual success? And he simply looked at them and said, there was a day that I had a funeral for George Mueller. What George Mueller was stating is this, you and I as Christians die so that we live. Every day for the Christian is a day of dying so that we live. You say dying to what? Dying to the old us. Put off the flesh. Put to death the sins of, the moral, of your body mortify the flesh, put to death the deeds of the body. Jesus says, if your right arm causes you to struggle, cut it off. So we are to put off the old man and put on Christ. We die to self, not I, but we yield to Christ so that Christ lives his life in and through us. So you and I have three enemies, the devil, the flesh, the world. So the apostle Paul tells us in verse three, every day when we get up, we're in a war. Now I talk to Christians sometimes that forget that we're in a battle. 
Sometimes I talk to a Christian, and they'll, and they'll be like, Pastor Mark, how you doing? I was like, well, I'll be quite honest with you. I feel like I've been fighting all of hell all week. And they'll look at me going, really? What are you talking about? There's some Christians you talk to, it's like they've never, ever, ever tasted spiritual battle. But I want to tell you something. Every hero of the faith, every Christian that God used to write this Bible under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, they fought battles all the time. And if you're not fighting many spiritual battles, you might need to wake up and say, wonder why that is. I must not be a threat to the enemy. I like what one pastor said. He said, I want to live in such a way. He said, I want to be such a godly man. I love this. He said, I want to be such a godly man that when I wake up in the morning, the devil goes, oh man, he's up again. Because we're in a battle. So the Apostle Paul says, though we live in this mortal body, we don't do spiritual war according to this mortal body. In other words, what Paul's saying is, is if you want to have victory over the enemy and the spiritual forces of darkness around you and in your community, you better not try to overcome them with human means. If we have a supernatural enemy, we need a supernatural God who is greater than the enemy to overtake these things through us. And so he's saying we don't war according to the flesh. But what is he saying we're going up against? Look with me in verse 4. He says here, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. So he's saying we're going against spiritual battle. So we're trying to get rid of spiritual strongholds within, and we're trying to get rid of spiritual strongholds in our community. In fact, you want to see your church take back territory that the devil has taken for the Lord Jesus Christ. When well, order for that to happen, you've got to tear down strongholds. And he says the way you go about this is you've got to make sure that you use weapons that are mighty in God. That's what he says in the next verse. He says strongholds are made up of imaginations and opinions that go contrary to the truth of God's word. You see, everything the devil does is based on lies. That's why the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It is our offensive weapon. So he says, your strongholds in your life, strongholds in the lives of other people, the strongholds in Roanoke that hold it captive to the kingdom of darkness are built on lies. So we've got to tear down strongholds, and the way we tear down strongholds is, he says, we use weapons that are supernatural. The word literally means dynamite in God for the tearing down of strongholds. Now, when you tear down a stronghold, you're tearing down sin that's based on lies. And when that's torn down, he says, how do you replace that? Notice what he says next. Taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, what he's saying is, he's saying the real battle that's going on in Roanoke, it's a battle within. Jesus said, it's not what comes from outside that defiles a man, it's what comes from inside a man. That defiles him. It's the battle uh, of sin, and only the gospel can cure our sin disease. So here's what he says. He says, every day you're in a battle. Now here's the thing. Many Christians, when they come to church, because especially in America, uh, we live in a very consumeristic society. We live in a, a society of customer service, even though I think COVID has ruined that. Um, you know, before COVID, you could at least get halfway decent customer service. Now you show up somewhere and they're like, customer service, what's that? But we do live in a customer service society. But many times in the church, we treat the church like a consumeristic vehicle. In fact, some have said that the American church has become a cruise ship instead of a wartime aircraft carrier. Now you say, what do you mean by that? 
it goes something like this. We come to church, and just like we want customer service at Walmart, and just like we want customer service when we go through a drive-thru, which you don't get a lot of customer service at drive-thrus, but just like we want customer service in all that we do, we come to church, and if we're not careful, careful, in America we're so conditioned about comfort, we want church to go our way. It's all about what I want. And we forget that it is Christ who owns his church. And it's about what Christ wants for his church. So the church is not a cruise ship. You see, why do I say cruise ship? Because when you pay for a cruise ship vacation, it's all about your comfort. Is serve me? Was the food good? Sir, is everything to your delight? The church is not a cruise ship. The church is a wartime aircraft carrier. Notice what Paul says here. He says, we're in a battle. Now you say, why a wartime aircraft carrier? Because a healthy, revived church should be growing in such a way that we make sin and multiply disciples who fly off the aircraft carrier and take the gospel to the nations of the world. That's what the church should look like. So the Bible says that we're in this battle, and if you're going to win the battle daily, you've got to use weapons that are supernatural in God for the tearing down of strongholds, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Now, with that said, look with me at your notes, and I'm going to walk you through some of these truths, and then we're going to do an illustration that I hope helps us put all this together. First of all, our biggest battles in life are not the things going on around us. Instead, the biggest battles in life are what's going on inside of us. Now, so many times we want to blame what's going on out there for our problems. And even though problems can be caused by external circumstances, I'm not saying that they're not, the real battle is never what's going on around you. The real battle is what's going on inside of you. If the battle was all about what's going on out there, then Jesus would have been a victim. But the reason he was a victor is because he won the battle within. And he overcame, because he, because he was winning the battle within, he overcame the battle outside. So many times we want to blame everything on everything going on around us. Adam and Eve did the same thing. As soon as they sinned, they never once blamed it on themselves. Adam said, God, this woman that you gave me. So God, it's your fault I sinned, and it's the woman's fault that, that I sinned. God come to Eve. Eve, what's going on? She goes, well, the serpent made me do it. So everybody, what they're all saying in their sin is, it's somebody else's fault. Jesus says, no, it's not. It was your fault. It was the battle within. So the biggest battle in life is not what's going on around us. It's what's going on inside of us. So we've got to win the battle within. Now, Paul says, in order to do that, you've got to tear down strongholds. All of us have strongholds. The reason we all have strongholds is because we're not like Jesus yet. We're growing in Christ. And the more we grow in Christ, the more strongholds are demolished in our life. So what is a stronghold? Well, this is a big definition, but a stronghold is a big problem. So here it is. A stronghold is a deeply rooted, faulty thinking pattern based on lies and deception in which the devil, the world, and your old flesh launch attacks against the freeing knowledge of God. I'm going to give you a moment to write that down, and I'm going to explain that. I know it's a big definition, but I want us to really understand why a stronghold is such a big deal. Now, when you think of stronghold, the Greek word here used in this passage literally means castle or fortress. That's what a stronghold is. It's a fortress. 
So for example, y'all have really nice, large facilities here. I want you to imagine with me for a moment that I just pretended one afternoon, totally against your pastor's permission, to go outside and take a rifle and start shooting at your building. You say, why would you do that? Well, I'm not going to do that, but I would be crazy, but let's just pretend for a moment. Let's say I go outside and I start shooting at the bricks. Well, am I going to cause a little damage? I am. But I could shoot at the bricks on the outside of this building with a rifle all day long, and the fortress is going to stand. If I want to get rid of this fortress, which is built brick upon brick, that's what makes it a stronghold, ultimately what I've got to do is I've got to bring in a bulldozer, and I've got to catch it at the foundation and take it completely off the foundation. Now, look in the verse. Paul says that what we're looking for are weapons that are mighty in God for the demolishing of stronghold. That word demolish there in the passage literally means come in and demolish from the foundation up. That's the only way you can get rid of a fortress. So a stronghold is deep, and it's an area of your life which keeps coming up, but you can't seem to have victory over it because it's so powerful. You say, can you give me an example of what you're talking about? Well, I'm going to throw out one right now. Lust. Lust has taken over America, and it's taken over the church. I'm just going to be very honest with you. I think some of the reasons when we walk into church on Sunday morning, we don't seem to take off in the spirit is because the church is so laden down with the secret sin of lust. And I've talked to, well, it's no longer just men. It's men, women, boys, and girls, and teenagers. And I've, had so, I've lost count of how many have come to me and say, I cannot win the battle over lust. I deal with it every day. You know why? It's because it's a stronghold in your life. It's not just a sin that you struggle with every once in a while. It's a castle. What Paul's saying here is, is let's get rid of the castle. Now, let's throw out lust for a moment. Maybe you say it's anger. Maybe you have an anger problem where it just takes very little to set you off, and when you blow, everybody knows it. You want to know why? You say, man, I've been like that for 30 years. It's just my personality. Well, it may be your personality, but let me tell you something a little bigger. It's just stronghold. Maybe it's worry. Maybe you're like me, apart from Christ, you're a professional worrier. My wife worries about nothing. We live in a tin box called a fifth wheel right now. If, if, if we heard tonight that a hurricane was coming through Roanoke, I would say, honey, let's call the pastor and see if we can spend the night in the church. You know, it's a little more fortified than the fifth wheel. Not my wife. She would say, no, let's stay in the fifth wheel and just take pictures as it comes over. That's my wife. She worries about nothing, and in my flesh, I want to worry about everything. You say, why is that? Because apart from Christ, worry is a stronghold in my life. We all have strongholds, but Christ wants to set us free. Now, I, let me just throw one more thing out to you. Be careful, because we've made a lot of excuses for our strongholds. Strongholds usually have been around in our lives for decades. And we want to play it off as, that's my personality, or that's just the way I am. Here's something for you. Jesus died and rose again, so you don't have to stay the same old way. Jesus wants to make you like Christ. Notice this. Jesus does not want to make you like the most godly person in your church. That's not the standard. The standard is he wants to make you like himself. So Jesus died and rose again so that the strongholds I've been carrying around since I was five years old can be demolished. Now, how do we get to the bottom of our strongholds? Take a look. If we're going to cooperate with God in demolishing the fortified castles of sin in our life, 
We have to get to the foundation. We have to get to the sin beneath the sin. Now, many times, the reason strongholds are so prevalent in our life is because they're built on the blocks of sin. I never forget a couple of years ago, I was reading an article by a theologian, and he said something I had never thought about. He said this. He said, every time a person sins, they never sin just one sin. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And then here's what he said in his next sentence. He said, every time a Christian sins, he says, I'm going to estimate that you actually sin about 120 sins every time you sin one sin. And I thought, is this guy out to lunch? Like, what's he talking about? And then I read the rest of the article and I thought, he's exactly right. Let me show you. The Bible says, thou shalt not steal. So let's say you go to Walmart tonight and you steal. You shoplift. You say, well, I committed sin. Really, what was the sin you sinned? I stole. Yep, you did. You're right. But that's not the only sin you just committed. Watch this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest commandment. When you steal, are you loving God with all that you have? No. No. Sin number two. Here's the second of the greatest commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. The person you just stole from, did you love them as yourself? There's sin number three. Whenever you steal, are you being proud or humble? It is a sin to be proud. God resists the proud. In fact, it's an abomination to him, and he gives grace to the humble. Sin number four. Hey, uh, one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit is kindness and love. Whenever you steal, are you exhibiting those things? Sin number five. And you can just keep on going. Every time we sin, there is sin underneath that sin which makes a big stronghold. I want you to pretend for a moment that I looked at my wife one afternoon. I said, honey, I don't like apples anymore. She goes, really? I was like, yeah, I hate apples. I said, you see that apple tree over in our yard? She goes, yep. I said, I'm getting rid of every one of those things. She goes, okay. So I pick up a baseball bat and I walk outside and I shake every apple out of the tree. There's no more apples in the tree. They're all laying on the ground. I'm picking them up, smacking them, applesauce all over me. And I'm doing one apple after another, and finally I smack every apple out of the yard, and I walk back in, I'm covered up. Brianna looks at me and says, Dad, you've gone nuts. I said, Honey, there's no more apples, though. She's like, Okay, Dad. Well, fall comes, winter comes, spring comes, and all the, one day Brianna walks by and she goes, Hey, Dad. I said, Yes, sweetheart. Look outside. I look outside, she goes, You see those apples? They're back. I thought I got rid of all of them. What's the problem? The root. Can I run something by you real quick? Many of us in here are struggling with the same old sin we've been struggling with forever. But it's because we keep dealing with the fruit and not getting to the root. You see, if you're going to demolish strongholds, you've got to get to the root. And so how do we do that? Well, first of all, I want to show you some reasons we don't do that. The reason we rarely get to the root of our sin and experience victory, and I know that may be hard to see from where you're sitting, the reason is we want to defend the very thing that destroys us. We want to defend the very thing that destroys us. I'm going to explain that in just a moment. Let me go ahead and give you the second thing. The other reason we don't get to the sin beneath the sin is we want to justify ourselves. In other words, we make the standard. We make the standard. I'm okay because that person does worse things than me. Now you say, what are you talking about? Well, here's what I'm trying to explain. The reason many of us walk around with our strongholds for years is because every time God tries to bring it to our attention, we want to make excuses. And one of the greatest ways that God brings our strongholds to our attention is he'll use our spouse. 
If you're married here tonight, the person that knows you better than anybody else other than God is the person you're married to. They know all your strongholds. But here's the thing. Most of the time when we're not walking in repentance, our spouse will reveal to us one of our strongholds and we immediately want to defend ourselves and justify ourselves. Now, I just saw the pastor's wife laughing, but I won't, I didn't, I I did not say that, okay? I know I forget one time I stood up in church and I was talking about strongholds and I looked at everyone in our church and I said, I first called out all the men. I said, men, if you truly want to know what your strongholds are so you can get rid of them, go home this afternoon and ask your spouse what they are. And everybody just kind of looked at me. And sure enough, that night, Sunday night church came and I, and I looked at all the men. I said, men, how many of you went home and did that? And nobody raised their hand. You know what that told me? You don't want to know what they are and you don't want victory. And if you really want to know what your strongholds are, sit down with your kids and say, where do I need to change? And they'll let you know. Because everybody sees it. Now, the reason strongholds stay so prevalent in our life is the devil wants you to stay blind to them, and he he helps us stay blind to them by helping us make excuses for them. Hey, Dad, you got an anger problem. No, I don't. Yes, you do. We set you off, and we're all scared. No, no, no. I'm not near as bad as so-and-so. You know, what, you know what you're doing, Dad? You're defending your stronghold, so you're going to stay in it. Hey, honey, you nag me all the time. You're supposed to be my number one champion, but I can't do a thing right. You, you wear me out. No, I don't. Yes, you do. But no one can talk about it because everybody's defending themselves. And then let me say something else. In the body of Christ, one of the biggest things that we're scared of is to care for one another because we're so scared of how each other's going to react. One of the most loving things another Christian could do for me is after they first deal with their log is in the power of the Spirit and humility to come and expose my splinter. But if I scare them half to death as soon as they expose my my splinter, I'm going to stay with my splinter. And so we all want to justify ourselves and defend ourselves, and that's, why, that, that's a surefire way to stay in defeat. And so many times, that's why we stay in our stronghold. Let's fill out the next few things quickly, and then I want to show you a closing illustration. True following Christ's Christianity is replacing the love of self and sin with loving Christ and believing Christ. In other words, if you're going to live victorious on Monday and follow Christ, you've got to keep replacing and turning from the love of self and sin with, Lord Jesus, I love you, and I believe you, I take you at your word, I yield to you. Instead of, I'm going to do it my way, we're going to do it your way. In fact, I like to say this, Frank Sinatra's old song, I Did It My Way, that's the song they're singing in hell right now. That's what sin is, I'm going to do it my way, and that's usually the root of a stronghold. Here's a few other things I want to give you real quick. What are the supernatural weapons that are mighty in God? Paul says here, we tear down strongholds by using weapons that are mighty in God. What are these weapons? You already know them. They're very simple. It's the Bible. It's, the pr- it's prayer. It's the Holy Spirit. And it's the body of Christ. These are the primary weapons that God has given us at our disposal as Christians to rid ourselves of sin and to be sanctified. The Bible, someone once put it this way, sin will keep you from the Word or the Word will keep you from sin. The Bible, as you meditate in God's Word, you will be successful like we talked about Sunday morning and the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God to conform you into the image of Christ, therefore demolishing strongholds. Prayer, we talked about this last night. The Holy Spirit wants to reveal our strongholds and convict us of those and grant us repentance so that we 
um, cooperate with him in demolishing those, and then the body of Christ. A church that's truly under revival is a church that will allow the body of Christ to care for one another. Now, here's a few other thoughts. This is probably the most important thought I'm going to give you tonight before the illustration. We will not grieve over that which we do not see. And we will not confess that which we've not grieved over. And we will not repent from that which we've not confessed. And we'll not walk in faith if we're not repentant. I'm going to give you a moment to write that down, and then I'm going to explain that, and then I'm going to close with an illustration to put it all together. This might be the most important thing i show you tonight, is this thought right here. You see, you're going to stay in your stronghold if you don't confess it. But you will never confess your stronghold if you don't see it. That's why the devil wants to keep you blind to it. But you, until you see it, you won't grieve over it. And until you grieve over it, you won't confess it. You see, we only confess that which we grieve over, and you only grieve over that which you see. And until you confess it, you won't repent, which means turn from it. And until you're turning from it, you're not going to walk in faith. And by the way, what does the Bible say is the victory that overcomes the world? Faith. The goal for every church and for every Christian is to walk by faith. But you won't get to that part until you first deal with the grieving, the seeing, the confessing, the repentance, then faith. I never forget one night, my dad, my dad sells hunting equipment for a living. So basically, I, don't, I hope I don't offend anybody. My dad sells stuff that kills wildlife for, for a living. So that's, that's what he does, all right? So here's where I'm heading with that. One night we're over at my dad's house, and this pet commercial comes on TV about all these orphaned dogs and cats. And I'm not thinking a thing about it. I'm sitting there talking to my family. And all of a sudden, I look over at my dad, who wears camouflage for fun. And, and, and as he's looking at this commercial, my dad starts crying. Tears are rolling down his face. Like, my dad never cries. I look over and I said, Dad, are you okay? He goes, yeah. I'm like, Dad, what's wrong? He goes, just look at that commercial. I'm like, are you okay? I'm like, are you for real? And I look up at the commercial, and they've got the saddest little puppy dogs and kitty cats on this commercial. And he goes, just look at them. He goes, they all need a home. Now, as he's crying, I'm looking around the room, deer head number one, deer head number two, bear, fish, some flying fowl. I mean, it's all around the living room. And my dad is crying over the orphaned dogs and kitty cats. I'm like, Dad, you don't even like dogs. He goes, I know, but they just need a home. I'm like, Mom, is he okay? She goes, I don't know. Now you say, what happened to my dad? He saw a need. My dad never thinks about puppy dogs and kitty cats. But then they throw up this commercial, and he saw it. And as soon as he saw it, he was grieved. Here's the point. The devil does not want you to see your stronghold. He wants to make sure that every time your spouse brings it up, or your children bring it up, or anybody brings it up, he wants to make sure you stay in your pride and you just bite their head off so that you stay right there in that stronghold. And the Holy Spirit wants to open it up so you see it. So I want to close with this illustration. How do we see a stronghold? So I'm going to get a couple of volunteers. Brianna, can you help me? And uh, Bailey, are you in here for good? Can, can you come up and help me? Ryan, can you help me? And um, I tell you what, I'm trying to pick on somebody else. That Steve, can you help me? Would I embarrass you to death if I you help me? Come on up. All right, so if y'all just stand right here, just the four of you. 
imagine if you struggle with this. Yeah. I'm a professional. I didn't even take classes. I just know how to do it. I never forget one time I was counseling a gentleman who his life was falling apart. And after the third counseling session as his pastor, I thought, we are getting nowhere. And all of a sudden, it was like the Holy Spirit laid on my heart. He's got a stronghold and he can't see it. So all of a sudden, I looked at him and I said, brother, I said, after meeting together three times, I wrote on a piece of paper, is this your problem? He said, yep. So I taped it at the front left of my desk. And then I said, why do you do that? And he goes, you know what? I've never thought about that before. By the time it was done, we just kept asking why. We had 10 pieces of paper across my desk. And all of a sudden, he began to cry. And he said, why have I never seen this before? That was his stronghold. Well, after we got done with that session, the Holy Spirit put on my heart, Mark, you got a stronghold too. Why don't you get to the bottom of it? So what I'm about to show you is out of my own personal quiet time of God dealing with my stronghold, just one of many, and that is worry. I'm so good at this. I mean, I'm good at it. I might be the best in the room. And you know what the word worry means in the Bible? It literally means to choke. Now, God does not want me choked, but I have an enemy that does. And you know what? Here's the thing. If I don't overcome this, I live in a sin-cursed world, my life is going to be miserable because every day things go wrong to worry about. But I have worried for years, though I got saved at the age of five, and though I've grown in so many areas and I reflect Christ by His grace in so many areas, this was an area that up until not too long ago, I struggled with for 30 years, though I was growing in the Lord. You know why? Because it was a stronghold. And finally, one day, after dealing with this gentleman and the Lord worked in my heart, I wrote down worry on a piece of paper, and I said, Now, Mark, why do you do that? And you know what I, you know what I thought about? I do it because I'm full of this. Now, you see, what's going on here? Every one of these things is a brick. Brick upon brick, sin upon sin, is going to get you a castle. So the reason worry is so strong in my life is because I'm so full of fear. But it just so happens the Bible says over 300 times, do not be afraid. And the Bible also says this, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power, love, and a sound mind. So when you're afraid sinfully, that's not from God. So every time I'm worried, which is sin, it's because I'm full of this sin, because you never sin just one sin. But then I had to ask myself this question, why am I so afraid all the time? It's because of this right here, because things are not going my way. You know what? I think I might have had two days in the past 20 years where things actually went my way. <laughs> the longer I live, it never just goes my way. Something is messed up and broken every day. So why am I so concerned that things aren't going my way? I wrote this down. It's because I'm a control addict. Now, uh, let me throw something out to you. Worry is one of those things that we don't mind telling people we do because we don't think it's that big of a deal, even though it's a sin and Jesus died for it. It's a respectable sin. For example, you never walk into the middle of church in the middle of Bible study and they say, hey, are you struggling with something? Yeah, I've been looking at porn all week. We usually don't come out with that. But what we do, we will do, what we will say is this, you know, I've been worried, and we're okay with it, but, but it's because we don't identify it for what it is. So imagine the next time you look at somebody and say, I'm worried, they go, oh, you're a control addict. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. That's why you're worried. So you know why I struggle so bad with control? Now, here's where it gets bad. 
because I believe I can do a better job at being God than God. You say, you know what? I didn't know worry was a sin. You think that's a sin? That's why worry's a sin. It's almost blasphemous. God, you're all-powerful, you're in control, but I think I can do a better job at being God than you. And you know why I struggle with that so much? Because I'm so full of this right here. Right in the middle of the word pride is the letter I. Right in the middle of the word sin is the letter I. It's the I life. That's why Galatians 2.20 is the victorious Christian life. Not I, but Christ. And you know why I'm so full of pride? Because I, like James talks about in his book, I like to have a love affair with myself as often as I can, apart from the grace of God. So many times I forget that I'm married to Christ and that I am to be completely sold out to Him. But James calls us spiritual adulterers and adulteresses because we want to leave the one that we're married to and go crawl up and have a love affair with sin. And so I have a love affair with myself, apart from grace. Now, we still haven't gotten to the root, but here's the root. The Bible says whatever is not of faith is sin. So you know what the root of worry is? Unbelief. You know what unbelief is? God, I do not believe you. I do not believe who you said you are. I do not believe your promises. In other words, I do not trust you. I'm going to trust in something else or myself. That's unbelief. And guess what unbelief produces? Good old worry. Here's the root. There's the fruit. You say, Mark, why is this so important to you? Because that's been me. I'm 43 years old. That's been me for about 41 of it. I've been walking around with that castle for 41 out of the 43 years until I finally saw it for what it was. So I know I forget. I'm writing this on a piece of paper. I'm all by myself. I was actually in this cabin over in, um, down near Boone's Mill. Someone had let me go away today uh, for a day for a prayer retreat and I remember I wrote it down and I just dropped my that notebook and I just began to weep and I'm like Lord why have I not ever seen this and as soon as I saw it I began to grieve and as soon as I began to grieve over it I confessed it and as soon as I confessed it I was able to repent and as soon as I repented I was able to believe God and so the moment that happened God turned my unbelief by his word to faith and when you're walking in faith and saying, God, I'm going to trust you in what you said, you will not have a love affair with self, for faith loves God. And when you're loving God, you're not in love with self and doing it your way. That turns to humility. And when you're full of humility, uh, it won't support this. So that turns to, I think I'll just let God be God, which is the whole Bible. That's right. Proverbs chapter 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. And when you're letting God be God, you no longer have to be a control addict. You'll just yield and depend. And when you're yielding and depending, you're not concerned about things going your way anymore because you are yielded to a sovereign God, so now you're filled with hope or God-filled expectation. God, I, God, there's all these problems around me. God, I don't know how we're going to get through it, but I trust you. By the way, we all love miracles, don't we? You don't have a miracle without a problem. Every miracle in the Bible is cause of a big, nasty problem. So now we're filled with hope. Hope, when you're full of hope, you're not full of fear. That turns to courage. 
With the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Full of courage. And when you're full of courage, worries out the door. All of a sudden, we have something beautiful called joy and peace. Real quick, faith is the root. This is the fruit. Who's this a fruit of? The Holy Spirit. When you walk by faith, died to self, dying to self, yielded to God, the Holy Spirit now controls you with the Word of God, and He produces joy and peace. This is freedom. But for freedom to happen in our lives, we've got to get rid of our strongholds. And I'll close with this. You can take any sin you're struggling with and start right here and work backwards. So if it's lust, write lust on your card and say, why do I do that? Why do I do that? But I'll tell you where you're going to get. You're eventually going to get down to here, to where you're going to get down to unbelief, you're going to get down to love of self and pride. They're the root of every sin. But you will see your sin for what it is, and then you can truly repent. Thank you all so much. Y'all can just set those down. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.